Hey y'all, we wanted to pop in at the beginning of this episode real quick to give y'all a heads up on some of the topics we are going to be covering. Sexual assault, rape, and suicide all play a key part in this movie, and so we discuss all three. We also discuss a real-life case of assault. If any of this stuff is something that you don't need to be listening to right now, we strongly encourage that you tune out. Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is, meet the champion. Hello! And welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast with movies that have the most Oscar rounds and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent, and I did not prepare a joke this time related to the movie at all. Sorry. <laughs> the movie's too long for me to remember the jokes. Yeah. I'm sick. Which blonde haired teenage <laughs> girl are you? We can talk. We'll get into that because uh, I have some thoughts on those Oscar movies, but we'll get into that when we talk about them. But you're Sarah and you're sick, right? That's what I'm you said. I'm Sarah and I'm sick. So I don't have anything to say. <laughs> I'm Caleb. Hi. <laughs> um, all right. This week we're at the 30th Academy Awards and having a little countdown, which will be very little this week. There was one film that had 10 nominations titled Sayonara. It got four. It won four and won Best Supporting Actor for Red Buttons, Best uh, Historic Best Supporting Actress win for Miyoshi Umeki, and the Best Sound Recording and Best Art Direction. And there was another film that had nine nominations and no wins. And that's the movie we're talking about today, Paid in Place. I'm pretty sure that's the shortest one I've done so far. So, yeah. Sarah, what was Paid in Place nominated for? Okay, Paid in Place was nominated for... This is going to be a long one, though. Best Picture. <laughs> I didn't even say what it, what one Best Picture. Okay, The Bridge on the, on the River Kwai. Uh, best director for Mark Robson, who lost to David Lean for The Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, Mark Robson was also nominated for The Inn of the Sixth Happiness the following year. Uh, best actress for Lana Turner, who lost to jo- Joan Woodward for The Three Phases of Eve. Uh, best supporting actor for Arthur Kennedy, who lost to Red Buttons in Sayonara. Um, Arthur Kennedy was nominated four more times. Um, Best Supporting Actor for Russ Tamlin. Uh, Ditto. Lost to Red Buttons for Sayonara. (laughs) Best Supporting Actress for Hope Lang, who lost to to Miyoshi Ubeki for Sayonara. Best Supporting Actress for Diane Mercy, who also lost to Miyoshi Ubeki for Sayonara. I I assume both these people never got nominated again, right? Yes, if I don't say it. Sorry, I'm I'm just trying to be clear. Best Adapted Screenplay for John Michael Hayes, who lost to Pierre Boulle uh, for Bridge on the River Clyde, but actually the actual writers for Carl Foreman and Michael Wilson, but they were blacklisted. Uh, John Michael Hayes was also nominated for Rear Window. Um, and Best Cinematography for William C. Miller, who lost to Jack Hildyard for The Bridge on the River Clyde. Um, he, lost, he won two and also had one more posthumous nomination. Right. Um, Caleb, do you have historic context or would you like me to give some Oscar history first? Um, yeah, my historic context won't go for that long, so I'll 
I'll go ahead and do that. This is a movie that sex plays a big part in, and in one of the conversations around that is this idea of sexual education, whether it belongs in schools or the home, which I was like, oh, that's a conversation that I heard growing up quite a bit, and I assume is still had. I know that there is uh, conversations around sexuality in schools these days with a lot of uh, veiled dog whistles. But I, it made me think, hey, I wonder what sexual or sexual education was like in the 1950s. So I looked it up, and it's interesting. Sexual education became more and more of a thing because of World War I and with the rise of STDs that soldiers were bringing back. So you have a lot of early sexual education that's just kind of based around uh, sexual hygiene and stuff. But by the time you get into the 1950s, it's more of an established thing. You have actual like sexuality uh, courses popping up in colleges around this point. So people are actually uh, studying human sexuality. But within like high school where this takes place, it would mostly be based around hygiene. Uh, morality would have, of course, played a big part of it. And like upholding gender roles, especially within the you know, context of marriage, which I think we see in this movie. All right. Now I've got some Oscar stuff to talk about and I'll end on the big one because there is a really big one, but I'll start with the small one for this podcast, but a full paragraph on Wikipedia, which is that paid in place ties the record with little foxes so far for the most nominations on this podcast. This will stand until 1977, which we will get to at some point. <laughs> uh, however, hi, this um, starts the record for most unsuccessful acting nominations because it has five acting nominations with no wins. There is another film that we will not cover on the podcast that meets that, and that is the film Tom Jones at the 36th Academy Awards, which I believe wins, yeah, it wins four Academy Awards, but none for acting. This is the first year all five Best Picture nominees were nominated for Best Director. Uh, Sarah already said everything about The Blacklist, which I think the interesting thing that she didn't mention is that Pierre Boulet did not know English, and yet he won the best of the screenplay Oscar because he was the only person allowed to be listed. Um, it's like, you know, everyone was like, wait, it's not how you write it because he doesn't even speak English. Designing Women is the last film to win original screenplay when solely nominated in that category. Since this Oscars, it's always gone to a movie that's nominated somewhere else. Uh, before I say the actual biggest thing about this Oscar ceremony, I will want to point out that, in my opinion, the most enduring film of this year uh, only got three nominations, didn't win any of them. That is 12 Angry Men which was only nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay, which I think is kind of crazy. Didn't get a Best Actor nom. I'm just saying. Um, but the big news, because we've been hyping up this Oscar ceremony for a while on this podcast, that this Oscar ceremony was hosted by six different hosts, and they were Bob Hope, Rosalind Russell, David Niven, Jimmy Stewart, Jack Lemmon, and Donald Duck. This is the Donald Duck Oscars. We did it. Yeah. We made it. We made it to the Donald Duck concert. Sarah's freaking out right now. Her eyes mm. are like so wide. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Very Imagine cool. Donald Duck going up and I'm like, I can't do a Donald Duck. I'm like, I'm I can't do that. I, 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 I can't try to do a Donald Duck impression. Sometimes I just fall into one. But if I try, it's not going to sound. But imagine Donald Duck going like, the nominees are paid in place. I loved paid in place, Donald Duck. Put that on the DVD cover. Uh, but yeah, that's we have no proof that he loved it. 
Well, let's look up some clips and see what he said about Peyton Place. Everyone pause the show. We were gonna look no, I'm kidding. Um, all right. Um, so shall we go into Peyton Place? Shall we return Peyton Place as a sequel is titled? If we must. That's I wanna point out. So listeners, long-time listeners of the show, but first-time listeners might not have caught this, even though if you're starting on the Paid in Place episode, I'm a little concerned, is that <laughs> Caleb will frequently tip his hand if he says, if we must. So I have to ask Caleb, since he's already tipped his hand, what did he think of Paid in Place? Wow, uh, I wish I had thoughts on Paid in Place. Um, it's a pretty boring movie, and all the characters look the same, so it's impossible to tell them apart, uh, which undercuts the, uh, the billion subplots that are going on. Luckily, half those subplots don't really matter. I'll go next because I, I made you all wait last time for me to go last up on the persuasion. I thought this was thoroughly okay. Like, I, I don't have any issues with it. I think, weirdly enough, for, despite me already saying it's really long, I was not really bored with it ever. I just wasn't really into I think this is more interesting as, like, I recently watched Todd Field's Little Children, which is kind of very, I, I know you guys haven't seen it, but if you've seen American Beauty, this feels very much like the prototype of that type of subgenre of Oscar movie where it's like suburban scandals going on, but they're just white people talking about it. You know, uh, that, that's what this is, is it's the prototypical American beauty or little children. I think this is better than American beauty. I think this is worse than little children. And I'm sure there are other films in that subgenre that exist. I'm also want to be for the record, say I'm aware that melodrama exists. I'm aware there are other films like this. I probably do it better from the era but I'm just saying this reminded me of Little Children because I watched it like two weeks ago. So, Sarah, what do you think of the movie? Well, I mean, speaking of subgenres, I'm going to go on a long tangent. Okay. So, there's this idea that books, particularly written by women, Fifty Shades of Grey, after the love hypothesis, they're all kind of love hypothesis doesn't quite work, but there's this idea that something that is a self-insert character just is not credible. And then you look at like Little Women or Peyton Place, and it's just it's very interesting how this genre of women creating self-insert characters has evolved throughout the years. Um, I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. I thought, <laughs> I don't know. I just, these movies, I get it. I understand it. I respect it. I just feel like if you're going to watch a melodrama, speaking of melodramas around the same era, just watch Imitation of Life. I need to see that one. I haven't seen it. But doesn't, I don't want to say because I don't know if I'm right or right not, but I feel like Imitation of Life certainly has more non-white people in it, right? Or am I yeah, it would. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I, I think that's the one that Passing was getting compared to, right, last year? Yeah. Yes, pa- the the act of Passing plays a big part of Imitation of Life. Um, I should also say, since y'all brought up melodrama, I like melodrama. Melodrama's good. This isn't a genre thing. I just don't think this does it particularly well. Well, Because I think a lot of people write off melodrama. Well, that's why I think to me, even though, yes, this is a melodrama, it does fit more in that like suburban idealist, like being torn apart by a scandal subgenre. I mentioned that became pretty popular in the early 90s, no, late 90s, early 2000s. Because to me, it's such a, at least the other old melodramas I've seen, they're way more focused than this. They're not as sprawling subplots. 
doesn't really have a main character type of thing. Because I don't think this movie has a main character. Uh, I really don't. I, uh, so, whereas, like, I, even little children were like, yeah, Kate Winslet got nominated for supporting actress. No, lead actress in it. I don't really think she's a lead. I don't think anyone's a lead of that movie. Fade in Place. It's a movie. It's based off a book, a best-selling book. But the author hated this movie. Because the book was considered to be very um, adult, very racy, and this follows the hate code to a T, even though it, it does still feel a little more like sexy than I feel like most of the stuff we watch that follows the hate code. Um, well, they talk about sex openly, and it, you know, it, there's like rape and stuff in there. Oh, yeah, that's not what I meant by sexy. Yeah, I know, I know you didn't mean that when you said sexy. Yeah. I think, um, what I mean by that is that, like, I do think it's kind of, I, I wouldn't say it's following the Hayes Code as directly as the movies we've seen before. This is definitely um, trying to be a little bit more mature. But yeah, I, I doubt it handles it as well as the book. Yeah. This movie, I think this movie is really interesting because I feel like it starts, it's, it, okay, first, this movie spans so much time. This movie, like, I, I, I can't, and I don't think they ever give you a direct amount of time, but I think it's like, Five or six years, that'd be my guess. Although, although the girl's little brother stays the same age the entire movie. Uh, Are you sure? <laughs> I feel like it's like one year. I mean, I can quickly browse Wikipedia, but I had the impression that like, so it spans the senior year and then the maybe I'm maybe I'm exaggerating, but I do think it spans like initially senior year of this school, these kids, and then the summer after. And then they all leave for either the war or for college or not for college or for New York. No one really goes off to college in this movie. And they'll all say, oh, maybe I'll go to college. And none of them do. But then it's, I feel like it jumps forward a large amount of time. Maybe it is just two years then because the thing happens at Christmas and then there's a trial in April at Easter. So maybe it's two years. So I did over exaggerate, I feel like. Yeah, it's, my point is it still is like, we'll leave these characters for three months and then come back to them type of thing. Or like the whole summer goes by in just a quick montage and it's Labor Day and that's when everything falls apart. Yeah, this movie is very interested in the passing of seasons. It begins with some narration about that. And there's some good parts of this. I actually think that opening narration does a pretty good job of setting up the tone. Um, But this idea of like, it describes all the seasons of the year and you never get a sense that like, there's a good time of year to be living in Peyton Place. Well, yeah, literally as soon as the new principal moves in, it's like, everyone's talking, it's like, oh, you don't want to go here, you know? It's like, everyone's like, the only thing to do in Payton Place is to get out of Payton Place. Which, I mean, vibes, right? Like, <laughs> I definitely get that vibe from this movie. Uh, like, let's get out of the small town where everyone's a jerk. Uh, I don't know if now is the one I want to talk about with you, but I do want to talk to Caleb specifically about this movie's use of church. Cause I remember when you saw Lady Bird and you're like, I think it's fascinating when movies go to church. And there's a full montage of this movie, which is like, here are the churches in town. Yeah. Um, but I think it's to me, I think this movie begins where you think it's gonna be like, oh, you don't think it, because you probably read like the description of the movie on whatever website you found this on. Um, but I feel like this movie begins, you're like, oh no, it's like Blackboard Jungle again. Like, we're bringing an outer principal to be the principal of the school. And, no, that guy is the flattest character in this movie, which is to say, saying quite a bit, because there's a lot of flat characters in this movie. I think the principal is by far the most... 
I think it's really funny that Lana Turner is the lead because I get that she's like a movie star, but it's like it's Lana Turner. Character. Oh, sorry. Well, she Lana specifically Turner. wants to be referred to as Lana Turner. Really? I didn't yes. know that. Okay, I so. watched a clip of her on Joan Rivers talking about it. All right. My apologies <laughs> to the late Lana Turner. Um, but Lana Turner, I think she, um, I think her stuff in this movie, when it's not with her daughter, is absolutely nothing. Like, I get nothing out of <laughs> what she's doing in this movie with the principal. <laughs> well, and like, the principal could be this driving force to challenge things in the town. Like he's the one who wants to have sex education in the school. He's the one who comes in and they're like, Oh, we'll give you this much. And he automatically is like, no, I'm worth more than that. But, uh, he never does it. Can I just say, he never challenges anything. Can I just say, so you said whatever description you read on whatever website that you, that you, that you found this movie. Um, the YouTube video that I oh, found this movie. Oh, well, this is on YouTube. This is on YouTube. It's on YouTube, but it's I would not recommend it. Oh, okay, okay, good. So I was like, this is on YouTube. Is, I'm mad. I spent money on renting this. The description from Vintage Katie. She said, "There is no way to write a description about this movie. So many juicy stories are rolled up into this one work. It's based on a novel and resulted in a soap opera." You just have to watch it for the shocks. Oh, man, I was so shocked by this. To be clear, also, to jump back a bit to something I was shocked by with the raciness, I'm thinking very specifically, like, the shot of them after they skinny dipped of the girl in the towel. I was like, dang, I'm surprised, like, they were allowed to keep that in. Personally, I guess I haven't really seen. Oh, what? (laughs) You know what else Vintage Katie has up on their YouTube? Oh, great. My man, Godfrey. My man! And a... Spanish dub version of Rebecca. Let's go, Katie. You two, please don't listen to this episode. We can't we can't have Katie's uh channel taken down. You know, I'm reading the Wikipedia articles and I'm very disappointed. I thought the doctor aborted the baby. <laughs> I thought no. That, that, no, I thought he was calling it a well, mistake because they didn't have the word aborted at the time. I mean, okay, so she's she begins a miscarriage and then he delivers the miscarriage. Okay, I for some reason didn't catch that she began. I thought he just because I thought the doctor was she pretty be- cool. Other than at, I, I, at some point we gotta discuss the ending, but I don't think we need to jump to the ending right now. Um, Let's just say what he did would get him locked up in several uh, red states today. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a well, he's aware of that too, which is why he's like keep it secret. But anyway. Let's let's jump to let's we'll jump to the beginning. Um, the principal comes in. He gets hired over this poor older woman who's worked her entire life in this school and was promised the position. She's like this and, old maid, and she's forty five. Yeah, that's that's very funny. That, that line is really because you don't need to put an age on her. You really don't. But then they have to say, yeah, she's forty five. She's she's be she's going senile. It's she's like, too what? old. <laughs> and they're like we need someone with new ideas and this guy comes in and she's like oh those are all my ideas too so it's like <laughs> and then she never comes back no no she dances with him at the dance the graduation dance oh, okay. and I think you see her at the trial at the end I think she's because they, they, they cut to everyone at that trial I just I just think it's I just gotta say this woman writing this book 
about this younger man who becomes a mouthpiece for an older woman. Just iconic. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like the movie, I don't know. I feel I'd have to read the book, but I definitely don't feel like the teacher come the principal ever comes off well in this. Like ever. Like he's a sexy new guy in town. So of course the mom's in him just because she's someone new. And he's like, I don't think you're too old for me, you know? Uh so like that all romance makes sense because she doesn't care about this teacher. Like she doesn't You also forgot that this there's something else before the sexy teacher comes. We get the uh I don't know any of the characters' names. It's the family that lives in the shack. Yeah, the brother leaves, but is he in the movie ever again? No, that's the problem, is both with the teacher and with this brother. It's such a big dramatic thing with this brother leaving. It's such a big dramatic thing with this teacher not getting the job. Then they don't do anything. Yeah. Nobody I does anything like in this brother, movie. The, the brother, brother should be like the back. surprise <laughs> testimony at the end. The bro- that's what would make the most sense. The brother should be the surprise testimony at the end, but no, or like, he's not. Or to be like, actually, I did it. And take the take the fall. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, he's just. You know, I gotta say, also for some reason, I never. Maybe I just can't recognize little kids, but I never recognized Joey until the final like trial scene. So when that there's a sequence in this movie where it's Labor Day, and we just keep cutting back to him eating food at the Labor Day festivities, I was just like, who is this kid? Like, why do we care about this child? <laughs> I just put together that that's the same kid. Oh gosh, this movie has too many characters. Alien, one kid in the movie. Yeah, but it's like I, I, he, he, like he's in like the first scene, and then I don't feel like he appears again until the Labor Day scene, like the little brother. I really don't think he's in it. Maybe he's like in the background of a couple shots. Maybe. But like, and then the Labor Day scene, he gets all this focus on like eating food, and then again, he doesn't come back again until. The dad returns. The stepdad returns. And then the trial itself. Again, I want to table the trial because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about that trial, but I don't think we should jump to the end. But then we meet our, who I think is the main character, even though she's nominated for supporting actress for some reason. Uh, the daughter. I'll open up. I have Wikipedia open, so I'll say her name so we can just say her name. It's Allison. Allison, yeah. AKA um, Grace Metallus. That's a weird yeah. last name. It's like a metal, media, metalius. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> she's but a self insert anyway. character. She, yeah, it's very much. She's the um, she's the Joe of this movie, right? Oh, don't do my girl dirty like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Joe of four daughters wasn't much better. Um, <laughs> uh. I think she's okay. I think again, she okay. She's okay until the big revelation comes in. Then she just gets she becomes kind of like a to reference a movie Sarah and I just rewatched. Um, she comes very um, Madison from Malignant. Uh, <laughs> That's such a niche <laughs> reference. Nobody's gonna get it. <laughs> well, everyone should watch Malignant if they listen to this podcast. Anyway, everyone, everyone, period, should watch Malignant. <laughs> so I'm okay with making that reference. I could have watched Malignant twice in the time it took me to watch this movie. <laughs> and it would have been a better time. Coming from me, someone who's going to give this movie like a solid three out of five. Like, whatever. Like, I don't, again, this is something where my thought on this movie that I don't regret watching it, but I also would be fine never watching it. Um, But Allison is mad that 
the principal's been hired, but then she is having her birthday party where her mom's freaking out over having boys over because it's like, you can't have boys over because I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. Oh, oh, actually, if I say the thing about Allison that's really weird is she kisses like the photo of her dad on the like stand goodbye when she leaves. Oh, that's really weird. The dad it's is not, dead. It's not her oh. dad's fault that he was married. Allegedly. She's allegedly dad. It's not her Allegedly dad. Allegedly dad. Also, Allison's like, man, I hate the mom so much in the this. She's sucks. constantly like, Allison's a slut. And then like, Allison's like, Allison is such a good kid. Like she talks the other kids out of spiking the punch at her birthday party. She's like, this is the one thing you all can't do. She's like, she's like very academically determined. She has, she's like career focused. I was going to defend the mom, but then I really started thinking about it. And I was like, nah, you're right. (laughs) Like, I I don't think I, I don't think I had an issue of her in the movie. And then it's like, Huh, I guess no, she never really did like anything nice. She just dated the principal. No. The um, one the thing that she did in the end is so bad to me that it's like Oh god. Mm. Well, again, I have so I, I, I do want us to get in the trial, but I want us to like there's so much stuff going on. We, got trial, we, have, like, we haven't even oh. talked about who's in the trial. <laughs> well, all right. We haven't so gotten to any of the crimes yet. The actual to me, the driving force of the plot in this movie is what we've referred to already, which is the sexual assault rape of this, her best friend, whose name is Selena, uh, who is attacked and sexually assaulted by her um, stepdad. That is the actual like driving plot of this movie because she gets pregnant from it and then she goes, I thought, kind of unfortunate, but I guess had a miscarriage where the doctor helped her with it. And this gives her mom like depression of some. I, well, uh, the, so the son we mentioned at the beginning. Yes, he's the son of this family. He's leaving specifically because the dad is an alcoholic and an abuser. The mom has a thing where she's like, clearly, she's going to keep kind of. She still thinks it's important that they have him in the family for, I guess, financial stability or whatever. I think it's her guilt at still having him around that leads to where she ends up. See, because she commits suicide, we see, we see, that's the only thing I was surprised in the movie. Like, we see her hanging. I was like, oh, wow. Um, but before she hangs herself, she's saying the stuff where she's kind of blaming her daughter for, like, enticing him. And that's why I was kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't even get you to say how, how I felt about that. I was like, what? Like, and then, of course, the mom who we hate in this movie, Lana Turner, just goes, oh, just calm down about it. Don't worry. Like, uh, you can take She's the day like, off. She has too <laughs> many like, problems. She literally, she literally says, I'm at work. My mind off things. Oh, you can take the rest of the day off. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Well, she goes, out, she says, you have, she's like, you have too many problems. And then she goes outside to the principal and she goes, she has too many problems. <laughs> Yeah, the mom's a gossip, too. The gossip is a big part of this movie, too. The doctor makes the stepdad leave by having him sign this paper confessing to the crime. Uh, I think the doctor is the one person in this movie who seems pretty morally, like, 
good until I don't know. Again, I'll talk about the trial later when we get to the trial because I, I want I want to set up all the plots and then we can talk about the trial because I know we don't usually sum up movies anymore on this podcast, but I think for this movie to make sense on any level, we do have to say what happened in it because we can't because otherwise I'll be like, oh, I'll be referring to this plot line, you know. But yeah, so that happens. Mom commits suicide and uh, Selena just kind of keeps working at home at um, Allison's mom's place. Yes, and she has a boyfriend who she wants to go. She wants him to go into uh, into law school, but of course, World War Two happens. Yeah, he's like the flyest um, character. But she's very besides. Yeah, well, she's very concerned about her reputation as it would reflect on him getting a job as a lawyer. Yes, although I did have the thought to jump ahead just a little bit is that she's worried that this guy that she wants to be with will be humiliated by this, but she seems to think that if she goes to jail for murder, that won't yeah. reflect that on well, I think I, I, mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they were going to be together, right? I think her plan was just... But if they were going to be together, then she could just... Whatever. I, don't, I, I just don't follow the logic of it, but I, I don't... It, this movie has other issues, so I'm not going to really pursue it. Um, it's very kind of like a nitpicky type of thing for me to do. All right, so to jump to the other plots... Really quickly. Um, we'll end on Allison because that will lead us back into the trial. Uh, there's these other two characters. One of them's name is Betty, who is like the town, um, the queen bee what? of the school. I was going to say that, but yes. Yeah. I did not want to be the one to say that. And Rodney, who is Allison's crush. And Allison invites Rodney over to her birthday party. I think they kiss, right? Wait, no, no, no. Rodney is sure. not Allison's crush. Hmm. Isn't someone crushing on Rodney? Betty and Rodney are together. Allison has a crush on Norman. Oh, all right. Well, Rodney's there, I guess. They kiss at a party, <laughs> but it's like, but it's like, it's just there to create drama. Rodney dies in the war. It doesn't matter. Wait, 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 wait. He's we a sacrificial build- lamb. Caleb, you went to the punchline. We gotta say they get married, basically. Betty get, and Rodney do. Betty and Rodney. Also, get Rodney married. does go to college. He goes to Harvard. Yeah. But Veronica likes Archie and Jughead's Betty there too. And Rodney get married after they skinny dip in Labor Day. Listeners, remember that. It will be relevant later on. But it's not uh, that relevant. <laughs> It is relevant because at least just, this movie is the definition of like your problems are not important when your friend goes on trial for murder. But all this drama is the movie up until that happens. That's why I remember I paused the movie with about an hour left into it. And I decided I noticed Voodoo had a chapter list, so I was like, "Oh, let's see what's coming up." And I just noticed the last three chapters were all in a courtroom. I was like, "What?" <laughs> Y'all, I I have to. I know I've. I've mentioned it already. I have to emphasize this. We are naming off all these characters. They all look exactly yes. the same. Yes. I, I One thought I had immediately when the movie began is like, I looked up who was nominated. I'm like, these two actors look, the supporting actors and the supporting actresses look exactly the same. Like, I, I could not be mm, able to, like. No, because Allison is a natural blonde and Selena has dyed well, blonde I hair. Think Selena, Selena looked like some current actor to me. So I can't even remember. But I remember, like, oh, okay. So she stands up because she looks like that person. And then 
Allison's our main main character. But then the boys, I could not tell them apart at all. Well, all the, these, one all of them was Russ Tamlin. Um, and he looked like Michael C. Hall in that one scene. Oh, and is then, that what you texted me? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice. I didn't even recognize it was from this movie. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool, Michael C. Hall. <laughs> and then one of the actors who was nominated is the rapist. What? Yeah. Oh my god! I have a. I'll get into that when I say who. Well, no, I won't say because I don't think because I don't think I'm going with him as my nomination. But like the only performance in this movie that I think deserves any recognition on any level is the doctor because <laughs> he gets the big speech at the end. <laughs> and yes, it's like a little over the top, but like otherwise he's pretty dependable throughout this movie. And actually, I feel like doing way more subtle work than anyone else is. <laughs> That's disgusting. Why'd they nominate him when the doctor's right there? The doctor's <laughs> out acting him in every scene. They act together. Back in my day, they only, no- they only nominated I- actors who played rapists. They didn't nominate rapists. I assumed it was two of the, the boyfriends. Because there's like, I guess they said there's like there's two boyfriends in it. I just assumed they both were the ones nominated. The three God, boyfriends. I thought I remember Mama had a big cast. All right. Finally, Allison is dating Norman. Rest Norman. She wants to be a writer. She gets a job that the principal sets her up with at the newspaper. It's not really relevant. It's just in a montage. And then they go out on Labor Day. And Norman's mom is the type of mom that they make horror movies about. Uh, this is a prequel to Psycho. They never say the last name. If you've, uh, sure I know neither of you have watched Halloween Ends yet, but I'm pretty sure it's the same character is Corey's mom. Corey's mom. Is, the, the, is the mom in this. I was. I hope the sequel to this, because there is a sequel to this that I want to talk about. I hope the sequel to this has that character becoming the Corey. Uh, that'd be really exciting. Every car- uh, every movie should have a Corey in it. That's what I think. I agree. <laughs> Corey's great. <laughs> Corey saved the Halloween franchise to me. Um, I'm not even joking. I thought that was a good movie. <laughs> Which shocked me. So they go on a date on Labor Day to go swim in the pond, but they they swim with their clothes on. We're very we don't ever, I don't think we see them in the water, but we're told they swim with their clothes on. Um, but these other characters that are only in these scenes of the movie see them. No, see. Sorry, remember I told you to remember about Betty and Rodney. Well, they see Betty and Rodney skinny dip, and they go, "That must be those kids we saw walking to the pond, Allison and Norman." They can't tell the part kids apart either. How am I expected to? So I guess it was plot relevant that all these characters look the same. Uh, <laughs> and they, the the husband of this older couple says, "Let's not talk about it." Until immediately when they go home, the wife calls up <laughs> Allison's mom <laughs> to talk about it. And then Allison's mom goes to Norman's mom, and they all just scream at each other. And when they're screaming at each other, and, and you know, Allison's mom is just like. You can't see this boy ever again. And I don't even know really how it comes up, but then she really ham-fistedly like, because you're a bastard child. You're illegitimate. She says illegitimate. They can't say the word bastard on this. And then she goes, what? You lied to me your whole life? Well, this is the last straw for me to leave paid in place. Even though I'm pretty sure the entire movie, she's like, no, she wants to leave. Doesn't she the whole movie? Everyone wants to leave. I don't think everyone. I think there's one person who's like, but this town is nice. And it's like, eh, I don't remember who that is. Maybe it's all the parents. <laughs> uh, 
That's what makes her leave. Back to Betty and Rodney. Rodney goes off to war. Yeah, he dies. But they have a whole plot about how the dad doesn't approve. And then they send I thought the dad was good, too. I thought that dad was... Why are we nominating that dad instead of the rapist dad? Yeah, he actually had a good... He came... I mean, it took his son dying, but then... He, he gave like, the, the acting was good too, though. That's like, small like why, why are we death. giving him the nod? <laughs> there are so many. I hate to be like, there's so many men in this movie. Supporting actor men that are options. That are. I don't. I don't think the movie needs to have two supporting actor nominations. But if it does, there are plenty of options here to choose from. <laughs> but he's definitely like the Sam Rockwell character. If this movie was made today, he'd be played by Sam Rockwell. And get nominated for an Oscar. I don't even know if Sam... I think even Sam Rockwell wouldn't touch this role. <laughs> you yeah, think so? He won't be able to... I don't think... He, the characters are openly racist, so why would he? Yeah, like, I don't think... I don't think Sam Rockwell would touch this character. I think this is more, uh... I don't... Because I, I I saw... As I said, I saw Little Children recently, and that has Jackie or Haley as a pedophile in it. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense for, like, a Jackie or Haley type role. I don't think he Sam does, Rockwell He does play, play a pedophile a lot. I I don't know if, I don't know if little he got Oscar nominated for Little Children, which I think is again that's one of those things where it's like this movie, like insane to pick him when like there are other great men options in this movie. Would you rather be <laughs> would you rather be typecast as a racist or a pedophile? Well, see, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that gets me about Sam Rockwell. I think that Sam Rockwell isn't typecast. I think he chooses those roles. I think so too. I think there's something. There's something weird about <laughs> Sam Rockwell that makes him want to play Nazis like, and KKK members. And I feel like I don't want to defend Sam Rockwell because it is a weird thing. Sam Rockwell is canceled. You heard it here but, first. But George W. Bush, <laughs> I think the Jojo Rabbit role is at least more interesting than the other ones. But yes, it is a Nazi role. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Danny, is the wolf and the bad guys a racist? No, he isn't, surprisingly. And the reason I say that surprisingly Good. is because the there are, like, people in that movie who are biased towards other animals. So... <laughs> Sam Rockwell fought for those roles and he just couldn't he get them. He also is not a racist and see how they run. I remember noticing that because he investigates someone who is a racist and he, like, gives them a side eye. I'm like, whoa, Sam Rockwell... That was, that's, that's big Turn acting for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Sam It's really a shame because I do like Sam Rockwell until he went on the three books. Well, I feel I like, like Sam Rockwell before he was famous, basically. Like, before he was, no, he was famous, but before he was like Oscar long, I liked Sam Rockwell. All right, but anyway, back to this movie. I think we can go to the trial after. I don't think there's anything else I need to set up, right? I think we, we've got there. Sure. Well, well, we didn't yeah, talk about what, why back. she's on trial. Yeah. Well, okay. That's why I'm, like we're, we're there to talk about why she's on trial. Yes. So Allison leaves the town, and then we jump ahead a lot of time, and then the stepdad comes back on Christmas Eve, which kind of goes back to that thing Caleb was saying about this movie being interested in holidays, which I think is kind of I didn't connect till he said that because stuff in this movie takes place on Christmas, stuff on this movie takes place on Labor Day, big things happen on Easter. They sing oh. Auld Lang Syne in the summer. Which is very weird, because I like that song. Oh, yeah, there's a Christmas scene, too. Which got me in like a nice little festive mood, because I was like, oh, I love this song. It's used for the two most boring characters in the movie, but who cares? Duh, and there's also this Christmas scene on Christmas Eve that I'm talking about right now. Which is, um, the stepdad comes back from the war on leave. And he immediately, I think he, doesn't he first, like, punch the kid? 
I think he does attack the kid briefly, doesn't he? But like, just he might lunge at the kid, and yeah. the, and Selene gets in the way. I don't know. Selene, <laughs> the affairs up. Okay, oh <laughs> <laughs> bad movies are infesting my mind. <laughs> uh, this is a fun episode. I feel like I shouldn't be laughing because this is a very serious scene, though. And so then he attempts to assault her again. And it cuts away. So I kind of was like feeling a little unsettled because I thought that like, you know, it was happening again. And then we get that scene with the mom and her boyfriend. And then we jump ahead to Easter, I believe. Well, I think it might be right after. And then we jump ahead to Easter. But right after, like these people come from the military going like. No, 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 no. Oh, is it around no. Easter? No, no, no. no. She no? attacks totally her. Okay. No, no, no. He attacks her and then she beats him. With no, an but we don't. We do see that. Oh, we do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's. I think it's left vague though. What happens? Personally well, at that no, no. You see, you see her hit, like do the first blow, and then it kind of pans away. But I'm. It's she hits him like multiple times. He isn't getting back up. Well, maybe yeah. I just thought everything in this movie was really ambiguous, but no one else did. But then we jump ahead, and the military is looking for him, and they're like, "He's deserted," and she's like, "I haven't seen him for a year and a half." Ooh, she lied to police, not police, to, well, I guess military police. She says, I haven't seen him in a month and a half. And they're like, well, he deserted, it seems like. And like, well, he deserted my family a year and a half. So, all right, that checks out. This person, I don't want to say this person, because again, Allison's like the most sympathetic person in this movie. Uh, Allison confides, and the closest she has to a mother figure left. Celine. Selena. Oh, confides. sorry, Selena, sorry. Selena confides in Allison's mother. Connie. Mistake. Connie. I've been calling her just Allison's mom the entire episode. No one has ever corrected me on that. I want to have that for the record. I didn't forget her name. I've just not used it. I just... <laughs> okay, so she tells Connie that she killed her, her dad, her stepdad, and buried him in the shack. And the mom immediately goes, Connie. I have to tell the cops. This is narc. <laughs> so I want to point out I want to point out something here very quickly. Which is that if this movie or this book was written today, this is framed to me as Connie's second chance to be a good mother. And what does she do? She immediately throws it away. It's just the absolute <laughs> villain. It's the villain behavior of, of her being like, you have to call the police. And Selena going, I can't. And then her immediately turning around and dialing the phone in front of her. She's terrible. It's malicious. She's evil. And the movie... Never think she's that's something that's so crazy. This movie is a hundred percent on her side, you can tell, even though all the behavior in the movie is like she deserves the judgment from her daughter. She, even though the daughter is weirdly obsessed with the I mean, I guess it's the being lied to your whole life type of thing, but even then, it's like I don't think you would understand if she told you this as a child anyway, but whatever. But it's like this is her second chance to be a good mom, and she she does the worst possible thing, so yeah, she gets arrested, and that brings Allison back to town. Because Allison wants to testify for the character of her friend. Well, and she and also Aunt, runs she runs into Norman and, and she's like, Didn't you hear? Selena's well, on trial for murder. <laughs> that pretty, that's a pretty funny line. I think it is very much blatant like that. But I also feel like I feel like very weirdly, that scene on the train is the one time this movie gets close to actually being romantic to me. Cause it's like, oh yeah, even though I wasn't really into their romance like earlier on this. Now that they've been apart for each other, it makes like the way they're interacting with each other is very sweet. Like I felt like that was actually one of the better scenes of the movie. Um, just the two of them talking on the train. 
Because he seems very, they both seem way older too, like to me. They're acting in old. Yeah, there is that. I wish the movie had expanded on how these kids had grown up after they had left Peyton Place because Peyton Place kind of keeps them in a state of arrested development. But well, to be fair, I do like. But sorry, go on. <laughs> I don't. I don't really expect them to be super mature in the summer after high school. Like, sorry, go yeah, on. that's true. <laughs> but especially like Norman's mom is. Oh yeah, yeah. terrible. I mean, but Allison's mom is terrible too. But go on. Yeah, <laughs> no good moms in this. The only um, good parent in this movie is the person who becomes a good parent after their son dies. That's the only good parent in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> but no the. I like their what I like about their relationship earlier on is that they talk to each other about each other, like they actually establish like getting to know each other, yeah. which is something that we almost have never gotten on this podcast. What I wish they had done when they when they like reunite is I wish they had they automatically go back to talking about Peyton place. And I wish they had continued that thread of like getting to know each other. Like what have you been doing in New York? What is being in the military? I think that like, again, it's like, there's so few scenes in this movie that I actually really love. So this scene comes along and it's like, we immediately got to get to the plot. It's like, no, like live in this moment a bit. Cause I think obviously eventually they do have to go like, Oh, remember hometown? Like, right. But yeah, I prefer, I mean, she does say like, she, like you a writer. Uh, I work for a book publishing company and I, I love, I, again, the writing here is like weirdly like, and it's with all their scenes, I guess, but it really stuck out to me here. It's like very like naturalistic. Like, even though, yeah, they do immediately start talking about paid in place. It still feels like a natural flow of conversation, but, and she, <laughs> but then of course we got to get back to the plot and Norman's like, Hey, you sh- I'm going home to talk to my mom and try to patch things up. You should do the same with your mom. And like, I mean, okay, I guess from his perspective, yes, that's a valid thing. Like, I, I'm not mad at him for saying that. But it's annoying that she doesn't eventually get that closure with her mom. I'd rather, like, I'd, I'd rather her talk to her mom and then be like, all right, I'm not talking to you again, you know? Yeah. And also the fact that, like, it never comes up that she's the one who called the cops. <laughs> like, um, but let's talk about the trial. We made it. We gotta talk about the trial because first off, this prosecutor comes in, and Paul Cart- pa- pa Cartwright from Bonanza. Oh, I, I don't. Green. Know. But I, I feel like I don't want to get too much into about like our prosecutor is inherently evil type of thing. But I feel like this movie definitely comes from that train of thought. <laughs> this prosecutor. <laughs> Starts the trial by putting a six-year-old boy on the stand. <laughs> an eight-year-old boy. Sorry, an eight-year-old boy. Because they, they, they tell us a lot. And it's like, are you, and he, and he's like, he completely destroys this eight-year-old boy on the stand. <laughs> and the kid just makes, the kid's not a great actor. But also, I don't know why we even have this scene in the movie. I don't know why they put him on the stand. <laughs> oh, for I say, very important detail before the trial is that when she gets out on bail, Selena goes to talk to the doctor and makes him swear not to say anything. That she's going to plead um, not guilty and just say it was self-defense, but she doesn't want to bring up the miscarriage. Do you guys want to lead on? I was... Allison testifies. And she testifies for the character of... Oh, we forgot to say a very important detail. I knew this would happen. With all the stuff going on, I knew we'd forget about something important. But Allison testifies that she saw 
um, Selena getting beat once. And then he's like, the prosecutor's like, all right, so how was she beat? She's like, well, he was like slapped across the face. And he's like, well, just a slap? You think a slap is a beating? Has your mother ever, have someone in your family ever slapped you? And we didn't say this earlier, but when, I, I, is it when she says that she's an illegitimate title, title, an illegitimate child, or is it when she says you can't see Norman anymore? But something cues the mom into slapping her during that big argument early on, like an hour earlier in the film. Um, but then she's like, yes, mom, someone related to me has slapped me. And the mom gives the space where it's like, oh, like, I'm so embarrassed by this. And it's like, way to make this trial about you. <laughs> When your daughter's no worry, best she'll friend. continue to do that. Yeah, I know. Although, I... so Allison answers all the questions, and then the mom is put on the stand. And this is what drive. We can talk. You guys can talk about the mom more because I honestly was kind of tuning out her because I just I to have thought I was like, why is she on the stand? Like they're not really asking her questions about Allison as a worker. Like she's she's just there to air the dirty laundry about her, and then she starts sobbing uncontrollably about well, like the only. You guys go. I feel like using the person who called the police as a witness is like (laughs) usually use like, you know, it's usually like against the person. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I, the trial was boring. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just thought the prosecutor was comically evil. (laughs) I love Lauren Green in this. He's, he's having a fun old time. He's very manipulative. Um, but I think they they established that because I don't think anyone in Peyton Place would side with the dad um, because everyone knows that the stepdad because everyone knows he was a terrible person. So they have to find a way to like have stakes in this finale. And I think having a very manipulative, evil uh, prosecutor played by an actor who already kind of has like, uh, you know, I would say he has a sinister presence. I never thought I never thought Park Paul Cartwright was up to any good down on the Ponderosa. But um I think that's why they they make they make him so kind of comically evil is because they have to establish that oh, he's actually making good points here because why would anyone you know, why would anyone convict this girl? So then the mom has a breakdown on the stand. And the court adjourns for recess. And this is what cues the doctor. And this is where I, this is where I want to discuss. What did you guys... Because I thought, again, I saw the whole movie. I thought the doctor was actually a pretty chill guy. But then he breaks his promise to save Selena. And the thing to me is, is like, ultimately it turned out okay. But what do you guys think about, like, that agency being taken from Selena? Because I felt kind of, like, weird. Like, I didn't, like, I don't want to say, like, it was a bad thing. I think it's interesting this movie actually got this reaction from me where I'm like, huh at this like i don't know how to feel about this character now especially when i thought this character was like the best character in the movie up to this point so i'm curious where you guys found that like morally speaking about him like breaking his promise and then outing basically this very scandalous thing to try to save her i mean i guess i have to talk i mean (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you it didn't really bother me that much I, I mean, just, no, it's fine. Like, to me, the movie is a fantasy and it's just, you know, in modern day 2022, you know, there is that threat of somebody who, you know, performed your abortion or whoever 
or like, the, you know, even just like a nurse at the hospital that you had an abortion, like reporting you. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like a malicious thing. And I feel like this is such a fantasy in the fact that it actually like ends up saving her, that it's just kind of like, it's so out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> so that it's just, it's to me, so- it's like, it's kind of a movie magic thing. Like, it's like, I should look at it like, oh, you know, it's not feminist or whatever, but I don't, I mean, Selena is never a character that really has any agency. So I'm not like, no, how could I do that to her? It just, to me, it's just kind of like these things just happen to her. And I just feel like, you know, you have to, I mean, I I don't always agree that you have to look at something with a, you know, a 2020 lens or, you know, 2022 lens. But with this, I just feel like it's so completely the opposite of like what the situation would actually look like that it's like it just it's it's a fantasy it's a melodrama Mm. i think there is something to be said about at least he's giving up something Mm because he's probably gonna lose his license to uh, practice medicine i don't know i think i would think differently about it it would bother me more if she had better reasons for keeping it quiet but her reasons is that this her boyfriend who's in the army might not get a job as a lawyer in this shitty town. So I don't know. I, mean, I don't think I can blame her for being worried about that. Cause the town is shitty. <laughs> like, you know, like, Oh yeah, no, it's a terrible town. Yeah. Like, like she is completely like, valid and, in her concern like about that. It's and just, that's the other thing about this is like, whatever you feel about whether or not he should have testified. What he says on the stand is true. Cause he calls out the entire town. Yeah. Which is why I, again, I'm like, Really, we're gonna go with the rapist and not him as the Oscar nom because, like, this is like such a like Oscar bait scene, and like, I think it works in context of the film too. Like, it's a big speech that like ends, and then it goes to this great final shot of them walking out of the courthouse. Oh wait, the movie's not over, <laughs> and then we get some reconciliation at the end. After, of course, she's declared not guilty. So I was just kind of wrapping up because I feel like we probably want to wrap up the movie because. Yeah, but there is some stuff we should talk about with this movie's release that I assume Sarah was going to bring up when we referred to it earlier, when you said there was something big historic with this movie. Yeah, yes. So it is a big deal about... It is, it's a very big deal, honestly. So, how do I even... Okay, so this movie... Um... It did pretty well. It did very, it did pretty well in uh, when it came out in 1957, and then something happened in 1958 where people became really interested. Um, and that is, <laughs> I already knew about this too, which is crazy. Um, that Lana Turner's daughter, Cheryl, who was 14 years old at the time, killed. Lana Turner's abusive boyfriend and was ultimately acquitted. It boosted ticket sales by 32%. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's kind of crazy. Well, I'm definitely going to go read up on that after because that sounds like, how did she do it? 14 years old? Jeez. I mean, well, realistically, you know, it's 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 it took a lot of courage, it took a lot of strength. That's my belief. I would say not yeah. to get too not to get too on my soapbox here. 
But nowadays, um, it's probably more in your favor to be abusive in Hollywood. Um, go see Babylon in theater soon. But I think, I don't know, it's very, to me, it's this case and Fatty Arbuckle are like two really fascinating cases to me. If you don't know that one, it's horrific. Look it up if you want to. But he ultimately got acquitted as well. And it's just interesting, like how these old cases, like how they play out like so differently than what you might expect in modern day. It's kind of it's a crazy Hollywood story. But it also is just like, I feel like today she wouldn't be acquitted. So I'm glad that she was. You know, like it's something we'd have to read up on the whole thing. But yeah. I mean, if your daughter has briefly, to like, kill your abusive boyfriend, like it's it's a good, had a good for her moment. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, like obviously, obviously, we're all fine with what the daughter did. Yeah. But w- what do you guys think about? Like, do you think it's kind of weird that people then turn to this movie? Like, do you think that's like weirdly voyeuristic or kind of like exploitative? I well, I'm mean, trying, well, is it? I don't have an opinion. That's why I don't like. <laughs> I don't think it's the same thing, but it is kind of similar. You know, like people going to movies because the actor died, like Dark Knight and Furious Seven. Um, but I think in this case, since it was like an ongoing trial, it is way more. It to me feels more because vo- at least for those you can be like, oh, I'm giving paying. Well, for Dark Knight, you went to go see because it's a new Batman movie. But for Furious Seven, it was like, oh, I, I liked Paul Walker. I want to pay my respects and go see this movie. Um, but in this case, it's like. Oh wait, this movie's about like killing an abusive boyfriend and not boyfriend, a stepdad, abusive stepdad. Very kind of clarify that. Um, and this happened in real life. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, it does feel very. I don't. I I wish I could think of like. I mean, I'm glad I can't actually. I don't wish um, a modern comparison that feels more close to it. I feel like maybe like American Beauty, maybe a little bit. What happened with American Beauty? Um, you know, just like the the gay uh dad who was a murderer. <laughs> I'm not saying that Kevin Spacey is a murderer, but But no, but people didn't know that in 1999. No, I know, but I think it's, like it's but people look back on it and they think, "Oh, oh my sure, god, it's yeah. just like American Beauty." I mean, I think you can look at that with a lot of things, like with a lot of Johnny Depp movies. Uh Or like but... like now, you know, the director of Call Me By Your Name, make a movie about cannibals, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I do think it's kind of crazy it did boost it that much, but it also can't really say I'm surprised. It made the equivalent of $106 million today. It's human nature, I think. I mean, it's gross, but it's also, I don't know. It's also kind of like when Netflix makes like Blonde or Dahmer, and then they put like a documentary at the same time and nobody watches the documentary they only watch like the narrative yeah i thought caleb was about to talk that's why i stopped it looked like caleb was leaning in to say something (laughs) no i think i think there is an interesting conversation to be had there but i don't think i've thought about well i haven't known about this information long enough so i don't think i've thought about to have like a a take i was wondering with you guys because that did kind of occur to me i kind of it kind of made me think of like true crime and stuff like that I did my only comparison I could think of, which is a hypothetical that happened earlier. So I just remembered thinking during that awful Johnny Depp trial that like, what if the new fantastic beast was out 
Like, what if Johnny Depp had been in the new Fantastic Beasts steering this? Like, would people be flocking to see it to support Johnny? Like, well, people are flocking to support. He's getting all these opportunities. He's getting. Oh I yeah, mean, no, no. I I'm saying though, like at the like that movie was right. out at the same time as the trial. I'm just using that at, like but, this. This is a thought I had like months ago. That's all I'm saying. Like this. Yeah, I agree with but you. See, even that's separate because that would involve someone who's directly in the film. This one, it does involve someone, but like she wasn't the one to to kill the boyfriend. But it's such and a that's, eerily that's where, similar circumstance. Yeah, it's just it's 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 super weird and like. I just, I'm, I just, the weird thing to me is that people would go to this movie and that there is a real 14 year old girl out there who would have had to deal with being put on trial and like the trauma that comes with killing someone. Like that's what, that's the only weird thing to me, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how much that really ties into people going to see this. I mean, I guess that does tie into Dahmer, though, because you have like scenes of the trial and stuff, and it's literally a shot for shot of the footage. I don't, I, I honestly, I'm very thankful. I mean, I believe you. I don't know anything about Dahmer other than like, you know, Evan Peters. It's like shot for shot. Like she's wearing the exact same clothes. She says it's the exact same mannerisms. And the family, like the woman who is in, who experienced it, said you know they took my words they took my 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 movements they took it from me mm. <sighs> should we should we wrap it up then like go to our awards i don't we've really we've we've digested this movie i don't oh wait this was we didn't mention this becomes well i mean we mentioned it offhand but it becomes a soap opera that's very successful there's also a sequel to this movie that has the same plot of read it and weep the decom but um i love read and weep <sighs> <laughs> yeah it's like everyone like because this paid in place is a book right like in real life this is a book where it's like this is my self-insert and the plot of return to paid in places she visits home and everyone's like why'd you write a book about us like you know didn't did it like a character actor direct yeah the... jose ferrer i was gonna say jose ferrer directed the sequel wow, but none weird. of the actors returned not a single actor came back to be there Rolana turner like i wouldn't want to get involved that's like this whole thing too her daughter i wouldn't want to yeah but yeah there's a sequel but yeah there's also a adapt a soap adaptation where mia farrow plays allison and ryan o'neill is in it too i don't remember which role he plays but it's got a lot of actors who started out on paid in place the show so i i have never watched soap operas before um but i can imagine this would make a good one just because there are so many plots and like scandal is at the the heart of it but like scandal you can get away with on tv so it makes sense trying to see if there's anyone else famous than this oh lee grant's also in the show well we, we, who cares about the show i'll never watch it <laughs> uh sarah are you yes. ready to remind us what we're nominated what this was nominated for i this was a long episode i haven't even looked at the time uh best picture best director Best Actress for Lana Turner, who played Connie. Best Supporting Actor for Arthur Kennedy, who played Lucas, the rapist. Uh, Best Supporting Actor for Russ Tamlin, who played Norman. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Hope Lang, who played Selena. Best Supporting Actress for Diane Varsi, who played Allison. Best Category Best- Fraud. Go on. <laughs> Best Adapted <laughs> Screenplay uh, and Best Cinematography. 
All right, so I have a take. Well, part of me is tempted to give it to Norman just so that way, like, you know, if the other guy, like, feels left out. But I didn't talk about it in this because I know you guys don't really care about aspect ratio, but I feel like this is the first CinemaScope movie we've seen that actually utilizes the wide aspect ratio really well. Um, I think it has frequently, like, casually pretty, like, images on screen. Like, there's a lot of silhouette in here. I can't remember the exact moment, but I think there's a scene in the dress shop where you can see every single character like lined up across, but it doesn't feel forced. I just think it has some very like casually nice cinematography. So I want to go cinematography personally. Um, well, you're not going to like this. Last time I gave best supporting actor to uh, Anthony Hopkins because he wasn't nominated for Psycho. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, my favorite. This Anthony time, Hopkins. Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony He's Perkins. Sick. I'm sick. Um, <laughs> well, I was thinking maybe you were thinking of Silence of the Lambs in your no. head. Like, oh, that's what and I he won saying. for that. He won Best Actor, which is a fraud. Um, <laughs> Anthony Perkins. Last time I gave it to Anthony Perkins because he was not nominated for Psycho. This time I am giving it to Russ Hamlin because he was not nominated for West Side Story. <laughs> Is Russ, which one's Russ Tamlin again? He's a. Uh... He's Norman. Okay, okay. I'm, I'll, I'll allow it. That's the thing. It's like it's like. <laughs> who's in West Side Story? Uh, what's Riff. Riff. Oh. Yeah, I really had like a. Every, I had a Mandela. Everyone effect. now is like Mike Face is the best. No, I had a Mandela effect where I genuinely thought that he was nominated for it, but he was not. No, I knew he wasn't because I remember Mike Face was like getting talk. Everyone was like, "This is a role that's never been nominated any production movie or otherwise." But sorry, that's just a side note. That's why I was like, "Oh no, I knew that." But Caleb, sorry, I don't really think it deserves any of these. Um, so you're gonna give it best picture? Got it. Yeah, no. Had the uh, be wrong but, early on. <laughs> well, I would love to give it to Hope Lang because, like, I feel like she should have the best performance here. But the script never does anything to her. Like, things happen to Selena, but Selena doesn't do anything except for that one moment where she kills the stepdad. So, she has I can't to be really told by the to brother her. where to bury him. We never mentioned that. Go on. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's true or a lie. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, who knows? Yeah, it's anyway, the kids on but, trial. So, but, so I'm going to steal Sarah's logic and give this to Russ Tamblin because he was in The Haunting, and The Haunting's a good movie. I think it's funny you guys are going with this logic because I do think Russ Tamblin is probably the best nominated performance of No, time. I mean, he was fine. I mean, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's, I mean, no, good. I would not give it to him. No, I would not give it to him if I didn't think that there was at least a glimmer of a good performance okay, in there. Good. I, I was like, I mean, yes, make up for his career in general, but like, he is. He's, he's but, good here. <laughs> Yeah, but it's one of those things where, like, I don't think he went in the movies giving a bad performance necessarily, except maybe like the kid. I think the principal's but not great. The principal's whatever. No one should have been nominated. All right. Well, in that case, Caleb, who do you, what do you think this should have been nominated for to add a nomination? Um. So here's the thing. Once again, this may be just coming back to things they did in elsewhere in their career. Career. But Lauren Green, as that prosecutor, brought a lot of life into the end of that movie. And I think he, like, he, was, he sold me as a genuinely manipulative person who's just kind of emotionally uninvested and just doing their job. So I'll give him best supporting, I guess. I will give it best score. I thought the score was 
I thought the score was good, but if it was for a different movie. <laughs> I was going to go with the doctor's actor. I think his name is Lloyd Nolan. But this is why it's funny that this immediately popped in my head and Kale didn't even want to think of it, is that if we give it we give it another a supporting nomination in any category. That means three out of five slots are going to be for <laughs> this movie, and I cannot, in good conscience, do that. If I can, if I no, can swap yes, him can. out, this doesn't. No, 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 no. no. Let me finish. Uh, if I can swap him out for the rapist, I might the doctor. But I also think Sarah's right. I think the score is very good in this movie. Uh, we never talked about it. I think the score really stands out on a lot of scenes. I think there's one scene where the score is bad, and that's when she's being chased in the woods. I don't think that matches at all, but it's every very, time like, this movie... It's kind of comedic, which is a little strange. Yeah, it's, score, it does not fit. The score I, think, I honestly me. think that moment is why it was nominated for score, because <laughs> everything else in the movie is really good. Sorry, go on, though. Score, it reminds me... I guess it's probably just the time period, but it reminds me of Disneyland. It has that mm. kind of... You know, that painting place is the little, like, you know, town square. Yeah, kind of. And it's right next to Fantasia. Fantasia Fantasia is kind of where it it landed for me. Yeah, I think it's a good score. Uh, I agree. I I would also go for original score. Um, All right. Well, that is paid in place. We we can now leave paid in place like every character in the movie should, besides uh, Lana Turner, who should live there forever. All the just not in real life. Parents. Yeah, not in real life. Uh, Connie can live. She seems like a very lovely woman. I watched that clip of her on Joan Rivers. She was very. She seemed very nice. But Joan Rivers also seemed nice. So maybe Mm. appearances can be deceiving. Uh, All right. Maybe she's a good actor. If you guys want to know what Uh, we're doing next time. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go to 1958 for the 31st Academy Awards, and this is a two-parter. And it's a two-parter where the first movie will be something I think everyone listening to this podcast... Well, all the film people listening... The casual listeners might not know. No offense to the casuals. No, 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 no. Everybody's heard of this movie. Okay, okay, good. Okay. But this is the more well-known one of the our halves. But we'll start with it because they got nominated for more high-profile awards. And may I have a drum roll, please, on this movie? It is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which I've never seen. But I've definitely heard of. It's a very well-known film. It's a play, too, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it wasn't revived recently with someone famous. I don't know. We can talk about it when we talk about the movie. Who's been in the productions of it? I'm sure it's been revived quite a bit. Through. I think it's one that's like always on off-Broadway type of thing. Like every couple of years, it gets revived on off-Broadway. And have we had a, another Elizabeth Taylor movie yet? <laughs> Covitis. Because <laughs> she cameos oh, yeah. in it. <laughs> I believe yeah, okay, is, but that doesn't count. I think this is our first Elizabeth Taylor. Um, Paul Newman, too. You know, this could have been a, this could have been a good Christmas episode. And too. Burl Ives. Yeah, it could be a good Christmas episode, but no, it won't be. Uh, it's just because of Burl Ives. That's the only reason I see that. Um, yeah, next time we'll cover Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Notes. And you can also listen to our podcast, Looking for the Ocean, Pixar Journey. Uh, it's about Pixar. <laughs> I think it's kind of self-explanatory. I'm Caleb. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. I have a lot of podcasts, but I'm only going to shout one out today because I'm in the middle of editing the episode and I'm really happy with how it's turning out. Uh, Star Wars Therapy is our, our November episode is about religion and Star Wars. And so it covers like canonical religions in Star Wars, but also uh you know our 
personal beliefs and how they interact with our fandom. I really like it. It's my favorite episode we've done. So go check that out. Yeah, I was about to um, complain about something, but then you said what the episode was about. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you celebrate Life Day? <laughs> Every day. Every day is Life Day to me. <laughs> that sounds like a fanfic. <laughs> Every day I put on my red Snuggie. <laughs> Uh, what's my name? My name is Sarah. I'm sick. You'd find me on Letterboxd. <laughs> I'm Sarah and I'm sick. Bye. You can find me on Letterboxd. Just my name, Sarah Knopf. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at SGK29. E-S-S-G-E-K-Y 29. And Twitter, I guess. Uh, same thing. Um, you can find us on Facebook, the Snub Club, Snub Club Podcast, and Twitter. We gotta bring back I guess. We gotta bring back the Instagram. Snub Club Pod. <laughs> We do not know how long our Twitter will last. Um, um, and special thanks to our editor, Joe. Uh, he's he's going to have an especially fun time with this one. Thanks, Joe. You know what, though? We, oh, at least I'm we were sure entertaining. At least we were entertaining all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a fun episode. So I'm pretty proud of this one. Um, all right. So we'll see you next time with Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Bye. Bye.